All right, Kiss Army. Wait a minute. You wanted the best? This sounds like rock and or roll. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. Wait a minute. All right, Kiss Army. Wait a minute. You wanted the best? All right, Kiss Army. All right, Kiss Army. Wait a minute. Rock and oak, rock and oak, rock and or roll. You wanted the best? Kiss Army, Kiss Army. Rock and oak, rock, 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 rock. You wanted the best? Rock and oak, rock, Kiss Army, Kiss Army. Rock and or roll. Rock, rock, rock. Wait a minute. No, your ears are not deceiving you. You are listening to a crossover podcast, podcast, rock and or roll event. I'm Ken Mills, and I'm joined by BJ Kahuna. Hello there. And we are doing a crossover event, and we at the podcast think you should be listening to rock and or roll. And of course, if you're a uh, rock and or roll fan, you should be listening to the podcast. So... BJ had an idea to put this show together, and here we are. It's the podcast and or roll. Oh, they're perfect <laughs> name. Perfect name. Yeah. Paul Stanley. Gene Simmons. It's radioactive. Peter Bush. You matter to me, and that's why, that's why. He's the guy. Ace Smiley. Kiss one by each of the four Kiss stars on Casablanca Records and Tapes. All right, man. Well, let's let's get this underway. Going around the room, where uh, we have uh, quite a few wonderful guests today. We have the ever hairy Wookie Matt Porter from Porter from the Kiss Room and the Podkiss. We have David Kowzinski from Dave and any other projects that may be coming soon. We also have Mr. Chris Sinzak from the Decibel Geek Show. And if you don't listen to the Decibel Geek Show, what's wrong with you? And, of course, you have BJ and myself. Ken Mills. Glad to have you on the show, guys. Hey, happy to be here. Podfather, thank you for having us here. Uh (laughs) So BJ had this idea about doing the Great Lost Kiss album of 1978. BJ, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, well, you know, Kiss, they had, between 1974 and 1985, they released a studio album every year. Uh, Some years, two studio albums, except 1978 is the only year that we didn't see an actual, technically, a Kiss album. Of course, we saw the release of the four solo albums, which... I always thought of as Kiss albums, but technically they're not. What do you think? Is that? Did you guys always think of those as Kiss albums, or? Yeah, I thought. Yeah, they're always Kiss albums. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I would say the same until recently when actually going through this, and, and I've actually done this exercise before, but listening to the Ace one, uh, some of that just I don't think fits with Kiss sometimes, but... And the Peter one is... is All of Peter. Peter's fits with Kiss, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and then Gene's is very odd as well. Yeah. But, uh, and then, but I, I mean, how could it be a Kiss album if none of the other three guys play on any of the other guys' records, so... I mean, and, you know, there's every all the song that none of the other guys participate in any of the songwriting. So, I mean, in reality, they really are not Kiss albums, but it's hard not to think of them as Kiss albums. Kiss albums only in name and in project. Right. Yeah, I guess because of the makeup covers and everything, plus the age that we were all at when we got them. So, you know, it's just you're automatically linking it to Kiss, you know, although, yeah, but going through it, only certain songs are going to are going to make the cut as far as what would work within the chemistry of the band and one of my choices i know is not going to but it's still i like the idea of it but we'll get to that in a little while so some people have fantasy football leagues we as kiss geeks and nerds we have uh fantasy make up your own album for 1978 so bj what what you basically wanted us to do was to take all the songs from the Kiss solo albums and the tracks off the side four of Alive 2 and pull from them and make a cohesive 10-track Kiss album, correct? So if a band's working on an album, they're going to have a pool of songs that they've written that they're going to choose from to make that album. So if you look at the the studio side of Alive 2 and the solo albums, and you think of those as the pool of songs that the band members would have brought to the table instead to make the Kiss album of 1978 that never happened. You know, we, the four of us, we all, or the five of us, we all chose our 10 songs that we would, I guess, did you guys just think of it in terms of the album you would want to hear, or did you think of it more in terms of what you think the actual record would have been if this happened? I just I just put together the album that I would want, that I would have wanted to hear. But. Well, this is Ken here. I basically went with the album that I thought would make the most sense, and that would have actually happened. Matt, how about you? You know what? I actually had the most fun with this, th- trying to think about it in terms of what was really going on at the time, how this album was going to save the band by giving certain people certain things. I, I really drove around all this week thinking about it and, and tried to put together an album that, first of all, was not just the best of the solo albums, but was also one that maybe had certain reasons for certain songs that I picked and based on uh, different kind of pieces of each song and uh and and i was thinking about it probably a little too much this week so it was uh, it was a blast (laughs) i spent way too much time on the sequence (laughs) right right (laughs) yeah i uh initially i looked at it and i thought i could just if it was just what i wanted to hear i think the ace record as a whole is better than probably anything i could make out of these so i kind of did a combination of what i thought was best and what they would actually do um, and kind of reined in what they would actually do sometimes because they seem to really love to throw something that no one wants to hear as the last song on side A. So, uh, so it's kind of a combination for me. Yeah, the covers like uh, isn't is uh, like are the covers usually and things like that. Well, yeah, yeah, no one wanted to hear that. That's true. Uh, Mr. Chris Sinzak, what was your approach? Well, let me start off by saying, BJ, this was a great idea, and thank you for coming up with it. And with that said. Damn you for having me agonize over this for hours. Because <laughs> yeah. I was initially, I was like, David, I was like, this is going to be no problem at all. 
And then I start looking at it, and then I start listening to stuff. And then, like you said, the sequencing. Then I was like, I want to get the right flow. And it was more of I was trying to decide of what would be, what what album would make sense of with what material for that time, that era, and what could I hear all four members actually playing on. So I mean, it just I wanted to make a realistic album that I think Kiss would have put out. You know, if it was something a little bit too out there, like there's definitely no uh, nothing about Papa liking sugar on this album. <laughs> so that stuff like that didn't make it. But it, I tried to make something that made sense within the Kiss framework. Even though you do agree that Papa does like sugar, sure he does, just not on a Kiss album. So we had a, we had a list of 43 songs to choose from, and because I left off, of course, "See You in Your Dreams" because that wouldn't have ended up on the album, obviously, and. Um, but I left the covers in, even though I doubt anybody picked the Dave Clark Five song or what's no, the other. What, well, that remains to be seen. Or when time. you wish upon a star, did anybody oh. put that in there? <laughs> I tell you, I, I bought so I got the Ace album the day it came out, um, and then I got Jeans the next week because those were my two favorite uh, guys at the time, and. It, through the whole Gene thing, when I was listening, I was so disappointed. And when You Wish You Want a Pot of Star came on, I just turned it off and put it... I didn't listen to it for months because I was so bummed out that that song so, was, was like, on there. Like Gene, you cried, but for the wrong reason. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was five years old in 1979, and Gene was my favorite. And I can re- sort of remember the vibe of Gene Simmons back then. And he was this mysterious you know, scary, this really cool character. And what, why would he choose to put, to take his soul album in that direction, considering thinking of, you know, the time period and who he was then, like if he would have made a heavy, scary Gene Simmons album, that would have been what everybody expected, I think. Yeah. And what he came out with was like the polar opposite of what anyone was expecting, I would think. Well, except for now, I think knowing and having, you know, with his TV show and all that, it, it is exactly what. Well, yeah, knowing now, it is exactly what he sure, would put no, out. Sure, knowing his taste in music and what he likes, his solo album makes perfect sense. But thinking of in 1978 and who Gene Simmons was and who the character was, right? You know, the God of Thunder. I mean, it's just weird. I, I you know, just from a marketing standpoint, if he would have put out a different record, because his was the highest charting one, just because he was Gene right. Simmons. Yeah. And so, you know, he had the most exposure to and probably the most attention. And if he would have put out a different record, maybe it would have been, maybe it would have changed how successful his solo albums were entirely. I don't know. Yeah, I wish don't I could have the time think... to, to go back and, and, and see the uh, reactions of the hardcore fans when they first listened to that album. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you just think of it in context, it must have been really a shock to most people when they heard it. Yeah. Well, it, it, it was kind of bizarre, you know. Yeah. But I, you also have to think about how this was probably pitched to the band as well. This is your chance to do the kind of music you want. Well, isn't there this story that I think it was the contract they signed in 76 with the label, the solo albums were already in that contract? Like that was, that was a part of the record contract. I read that somewhere also. Yeah. I don't know how factual it is, but I have yeah. read similar things. So I don't really know how the so why the or how the solo albums came about, but 
See, it's, I had always heard that the solo albums were something that Bill Coin came up with because everybody was so unhappy. And they said, look, why don't you just all go do your own thing? A, thinking that, sure, releasing four albums at the time when the band was huge would be four great selling albums in their mind. But then I, that's what I always heard that it was kind of like as they knew the band was starting to really fall apart. They're like, look, you know, you guys maybe can't work together. Or you're not getting enough songs in the album or whatever. So go off and do your own thing try and keep everybody happy within the brand of kiss i mean they do all say kiss on them and if you're bill of coin you're thinking well if you know obviously we're selling a ton of records now if we put out four you know and they clearly they all shipped you know according to the legends platinum or whatever you know but <laughs> but i mean obviously depending and they were on returned which, double platinum that's yeah and, if you, and that's the thing depending on who you listen to they didn't you know they all came back but the uh you know i think that was the i had always kind of heard that story was the idea to kind of pacify everybody and uh try and keep them all together yeah that's the official story that's definitely the story they've told you know, years later, and it was the idea of keeping Ace and Peter in the band. Right. But I don't know if that's actually, if that's was actually the impetus for the solo albums or not, you know. I don't, I'm not well, sure if I probably, believe that. I'm sure it was probably because <laughs> they thought, if, you know, why release one when we can le- release four and sell a ton of records at the time, thinking that obviously they'd come off that really successful string of albums and they're, you know, 1978, think of that, they're still, you know, really pretty popular um, I'm sure that somebody like everything they're thinking with dollar signs. Hey, you know, one one record would sell good, but four would sell even better. Yeah. Can you think of another band that this would have worked with? Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, yeah, not said, many in history. It's the Beatles. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think the solo albums were a cool idea, and I love the solo albums. But um, I I also do you think that I was thinking about this that um. Do you think the solo albums have contributed to like the lack of respect and the lack of reverence that Kiss have? L- like, were, no. the, were the solo albums interpreted as just part of the merchandising machine? I'm by you know by detractors of Kiss or non-fans. It's like, you know, now this over-the-top merchandising is making its way into the creative part even, and now they're merchandising their albums. You know, the the music is just part of this merchandising frenzy. You know, do you think that's what non-fans thought and no, I, I think, think so. it's just it's like you said earlier though with like Gene's album. Gene's album surprised even hardcore Kiss fans because they didn't think it sounded like what they expected from Gene. So it's like had had he put out an album that sounded like a Kiss album, I think it would be totally different. I mean, Aces and Paul's albums sound like Kiss albums. I mean, you know, really any of those you know songs pretty much could have worked their way in. Now, like you said, Peter maybe was going in directions you know uh, that. People didn't expect it. Sound like something your dad might listen to, and uh, you know, I think that those were the react. I think that's what kind of hurt the solo albums was they weren't what people necessarily expected at the time from Kiss. Yeah, but Matt, you're you're missing out on a couple things. You guys have to realize that when people say what were non-Kiss fans thinking at the time, think of how you might feel about One Direction, or how you might feel about Justin Bieber, or how you might feel about Nickelback. They're, threw that in for Mr. Sinzak. Um, if, if you didn't like Kiss, you didn't really give two screws about them, and you didn't really pay attention to them. And so anything they did from a merchandising standpoint was basically like, oh, those clowns again. You know what I'm saying? And um, 
crap. There was something else. I was well, but I don't say. think that the albums were necessarily viewed as the merchandising. It was everything else. I mean, at that point, you had the dolls and everything. Right. You had the dolls and all that kind of stuff, and that was everywhere. And maybe people were seeing that kind of stuff now in the toy store. But it's like you said, if you weren't, you know, watching for the new Kiss album, maybe you didn't even care. But I that's what I always think about is just the fact that as far as Kiss fans was and and they're all they're the ones I think about. I mean, you know, yeah, I don't pay attention to One Direction, you know, who cares? Well, I I having been when I was like I think 10 in 78. Right. Um I don't re- I mean, it really for me didn't cuz this was about the time when I, I cuz I was pretty much Kiss all the way up here. I bought uh, I bought the first Kiss album, I think, when I was like five or six, six, I think. And then, uh, but until Dynasty came out, and not as much with the album or even that song, but then when you started seeing him on Solid Gold, I think right. that was more of, that was me going like, what the hell's going on here? I hate everything on this show. And then Kiss is on here kind of a thing. Um, so I don't know. I think maybe a little after this, I think the solo albums might have contributed to the beginning of that. Everybody kind of wow, this isn't all good, like, you know, the Jeans record is weird, and maybe that kind of freaked Kiss fans out, and then, you know, if you were a Peter fan, which, uh, amongst the people, my, like, my brother I, was, like, the only person I knew that that liked Peter, he, he had the Peter doll, and he bought the Peter album first, and I was like, wow, but I don't know if that was as unexpected as, G- like, the Peter one, kind of almost, I was like, yeah, that's kind of a expected, knowing, you know. Well, we already, of, we already heard Baby Driver <laughs> by this right, time. Right, well, but even you know, with Hard Luck Woman, which I get, which is harder, and I, I, I guess I was kind of accept, expecting more that direction. But you know, especially right. with Beth, which I really didn't care for. But you know, kind of a whole album of attempting to be Beth is, right. is kind of what you got. Right. Well, I, I guess sorry. I just mean that it was probably pretty easy to just look at the solo albums as a cash grab, and and if you see a band who's, if if in your opinion a band is is releasing four albums at once just to try to cash in. The same way they're putting out dolls and stuff, then well, the dolls were the symptom of it, and I think the, the the stuff like dolls and lunch boxes and sleeping bags and bed sheets and I could go on. I mean, stuff like that is going to sour the general public, and then when you put out four albums on top of it, they're going to be like, well, look what they're doing now. Right, right. If it had just been four albums, I don't think anyone would have right. bought them. Yeah, but it you know it just kind of tied in with the. I mean, I'm not saying this is what I think. I'm just saying, you know, it's the it's the question: Why aren't Kiss in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And do you think something like the solo albums contributed to that? Nah. Yeah, the no. Hall of, Hall of Fame is completely a political entity. And right. The, yeah. Right. And apparently, that woman I don't remember her name that has something to do with people getting in can't stand Kiss. So. Right. Well, that's the, that's the one thing that has kept Kiss out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is lasting 40 years. Because everybody who said Kiss sucks and that they will never last can't believe they were wrong. So, Yeah. Well, here's one thing that people don't take into account about the solo albums. Christian, uh, or I think it was BJ maybe mentioned the returns coming back. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being a certain age back then and I also remember only having so much money to buy comic books <laughs> right. Kiss albums Beatle albums and bubblegum cards and I remember my brother and I having to split the cost of joining the Kiss Army and that was $5 <laughs> so when four Kiss albums came out on the same day that was $20 that I didn't have yeah you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So that kind of divided the sales again. 
it would have been one thing if it would have been one Kiss album. Right. And that's, but, so that's what we're talking about today. Is it what if it was just the one Kiss album and take the best? Right. I guess the best. I took the best songs, in my opinion. But so when we were putting well, together. Well, yeah, when we were putting together our, our album, the, the Lost Kiss album of 1978, there were a few rules that we had when we were choosing the songs. So there had to be at least two songs each by Gene and Paul, and then there wasn't really a technical limit, but at least two songs by Paul and two songs by Gene. No more than three songs by Ace. That was just thinking of a precedent set by Kiss albums. I mean, the next two albums were each going to have three songs by Ace, so, you know, you could say, well, what if that started in 1978? What if that trend started in 78 instead? And then had to be at least one song sung by Peter Chris because every Kiss album has a song sung by Peter Chris until Unmasked. And, uh, but then because of the precedent that had been set on the first three albums where Peter sang a song either by Paul or Ace, I made the rule that it had to be one song sung by Peter, but if you wanted, you could make that a song by Paul or Ace. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was sort of a selfish move on my part because I didn't want to be forced to pick something off of Peter's <laughs> solo album. <laughs> so I thought, how can I get out of this? Okay. <laughs> I thank and, you for that rule. Right. Well, and, and I, I, I tried to think about precedent that had been set by other Kiss albums. And if it conformed to a precedent that had been set by another Kiss album, then I thought it was acceptable, you know? Like well, I'll sure. talk about, I'll talk about another ex- way I made an excuse later <laughs> in that vein, but... Uh, Right, so we those are the parameters we had to work in. We had the 43 songs, and then those simple rules about, you know, how many songs by each member or whatever. And then we all chose our 10 songs, and everybody put their album in order with side one and side two and everything. Yep. 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 All right, yep. so who wants to start? <laughs> Let's quit yakking and start tracking. Uh, can I jump in? Yeah, yep. sure. All right, good. So I, I'll go right. I'm going to just say the names, and then I'll tell you why I picked them. So side one is It's All Right, Living in Sin. I'm going to say, hey, look, I like the Peter Chris solo album. I'm putting Easy Thing as number three. Rocket Ride, Larger Than Life. Side two, you got Rockin' in the USA, New York Groove, Love in Chains, Rip It Out. I Can't Stop the Rain, and on the Japanese bonus track is All-American Man, I went to 11. Because, of course, this album goes to 11. Now, the thought process being this, right? If you go back to side one... The sequencing, now, It's All Right, to me, I think is one of the best Paul Stanley songs. If they put that out on Monster today, it would sound every bit as good. That song rocks. That could be the opener of the show. I think that it's as good as anything they open with. It's a fantastic song. That's the first song. You go, and it's written by Paul, so obviously he's happy. Then you go to Living in Sin, right? Now, again, we're talking about Gene. If we take a lot of the kind of weirder stuff away from Gene's solo album, you take something like Living in Sin, which is kind of Gene in that, creepy. Um, like I, In my mind, I always picture him like in the hotel room kind of thing, in the full outfit and everything, talking on the phone with Cher or whoever and banging groupies and, you know, that's, so that's, you, you keep that vibe and it's, I love that song. Now, those of you that don't like the Peter Chris solo album are wondering why you put Easy Thing, but now Easy Thing, you figure, first of all, that sets the precedent of every 80s metal band to come, is the third song on every album has to be a ballad, and the uh, it's written by Peter Chris and Stan Penridge, so obviously they're saying, let's try and get it like Beth. 
Um, the uh, like you said, a whole album of Beth Jr. maybe wasn't the right way to go, but but in if it's one song. You know, you never know. Now, if you listen to Gene Sawm, he's got Always Near You, Nowhere to Hide, has a similar kind of a thing going on. Maybe they say, okay, Gene likes this, we'll go with that. I'd even go as far as to say if they took this song, substituted it for Beth when they're playing in the Phantom of the Park, this song becomes a huge hit because, it, you know, clearly the Kiss, highest charting Kiss songs are oddly enough ballads. Why not? I love this song. You can all argue about that one later. You got Rocket Ride as number four. So the pattern on this side one is a Paul song, Gene song, Peter song, Ace song. So we take Rocket Ride, which is obviously also co-written by Sean Delaney. So we keep Sean happy. He stays working with the band. And we end it with Larger Than Life and a Gene song. And then I'm going to say, I'm going to call the album Larger Than Life. That's the end side one. Side two, you got Rockin' in the USA. So we're starting off with a Gene song. Gene's happy and it's a little more rockin'. So now we don't have those weird Gene songs. We're back to a rockin' song. Your rule of only two Ace songs was obviously the idea that not doing just basically every good song off the Ace's solo album. So track two is New York Groove, Russ Ballard song. But it was one of the highest, you know, charting songs of any of the solo albums. So clearly this could have been a single and done well. I'm getting Love and Chains is number three. Again, Paul's solo album I think is fantastic. I'm pulling that. Number four is Rip It Out. Or actually, actually, I could do a flip on that either way. You got Speeding Back to My Baby would be my alternate choice. It doesn't matter. It's an ace song. Both are great. Speeding Back to My Baby, obviously enough, has co-written by Jeanette Fraley, so who knows? Maybe that would have kept everybody in the Fraley house happy, that he would stay in the band. I'm putting in I Can't Stop the Rain on this album, which, again, those of you that are looking at Peter's album going, oh, no, but when you think about it, it to me, this song sounds like the 70s. That guitar solo at the end, with the, it sounds so much like the 70s. I, I'm actually a big fan of Peter's solo album. But, I mean, think about this. Like This song, I think, could have been like without the trappings of Kiss, it could be like what Night Moves was like Bob Seger's huge breakthrough hit or just a couple years prior. What This could have been, I think, a huge hit for Kiss in the context of if it's a Kiss song. And then, of course, you're ending with All-American Man just because I picked 11 and I couldn't cut it down to 10. But the... Uh, so I'm all over the map, but I think uh, to me it, it's got the sequence of there's like it's the Paul, Gene, Ace, Peter. You know, you got one kind of everybody gets one or two songs on the side. It's a whole sequence, and uh, there you go. What is your album cover like? The album cover, like I said, the album's going to be called Larger Than Life. The painting on the cover, it's going to be probably a Ken Kelly painting. Think about. Um, the uh, that the pictures where they're standing on those glass cubes, okay. and they so they're classic images of the band. But then it's going to be a combination of if you can think of and, and if you're, if you're not a geek, but I think we're all into comic books. But if you think of <laughs> Spider-Man versus Superman comic, where they're up above the Empire State Building, that angle, 
it, so it's Kiss, and their feet are like on buildings, like instead of the glass cubes, but they're like up. It's a fisheye lens kind of painting, but it's got to be that epic kind of painting. And they're in those, like, think of your favorite one on the glass cubes, but now instead of the cubes, they're standing on buildings. And you got the Empire State Building in the middle, and they're kind of King Kong style hanging around that, and, and they are larger than life. There's the, there's the cover, there's the title of the album. Very cool. And it comes it comes with a huge poster too. <laughs> okay. Now, Matt, as a, as a result of this '78 album, Larger in Life, what happens after this album comes out? How does it affect the band? Dynasty recorded. Pete leave the band. And what what happens in your fantasy league? See, football? that's it's exactly it's the fantasy football. Now, in my mind because they make certain concessions to the other members of the band. They give Peter two songs. They use his songs with Stan Penridge. Um, they, they could use Speeding Back to My Baby so Jeanette has a credit and Ace is happy. You know, it, to me, it keeps everybody back in the band because Ace is going to obviously have a huge hit with New York Groove if history, you know, kind of repeats itself. That goes on well. Um, Pete, the fans don't get kind of disappointed by Gene, like you said, when you heard, you know, when you wish upon a star, you're thinking, gee, has Gene lost his mind, but I'm keeping it to Gene, you know, as this banging every group in the hotel and living in sin and he's larger than life and, you know, it's he's rocking in the USA. It's all the best Gene songs. So fans aren't, aren't dis discouraged about Gene. I'm bringing Eddie Kramer back to produce and he produced uh, Ace's solo album, so obviously that sounds fantastic. The songs would sound good. Sean stays on board because we use the uh, we use Rocket Ride, so he's happy. Uh, and they all think Bill Coins a genius because he hired me to sequence this album, and and the rest is history. <laughs> which which singles are released, and how do they do? Well, like I mean, really, like I said, I think the. Um, th if you go through history, the ballads, I mean, Beth and Forever were huge hits. So if Easy Thing becomes not the first single, but a single, does it do well as the other kind of ballads of Kiss have done? Um, I think the first single, I'd probably take something like I'd take It's All Right by Paul or something more rock and something that we would expect. Or even if you do that, the old destroyer thing of putting uh, put it's all right as the side a and easy thing as the side B. And then you do um, New York groove as a single with, uh, you know, larger than life as the B side, something like that. I don't know. I have to admit, I can't even hear easy thing in my head. I don't even know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> when love, such an easy thing Such an easy thing Such an easy thing To lose You know what, it's, uh, it's the funny thing with that, it starts off with that great double guitar thing. And I mean, I, uh, one of the things I always liked about that, and I, at the time, I'm 10 years old, I know this, but that the fact that Brendan Harkin from Stars is one of the guitar players on the album. The other one, I don't really know much about Elliot Randall, who is a session guy, but I'm a huge Stars fan. So if the fact that um, Brendan Harkin could be playing on that, it goes on to become a huge hit. And maybe Stars even gets more popular, which uh, another one of my absolute 
two favorite bands. So it's uh, so there's this whole long-term plan of uh, of why uh, that needs to be on there. So uh, and I would sing it to you, but it's pretty early in the morning here. <laughs> uh, geeky fact about Elliot Randall: he plays the solo on "Reeling in the Years" by Steely Dan. Steely Dan, awesome. right? Right. I love That's, that. I All right, so I'm not a fan of him. Though. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, uh, well, it's, ready? it's love is so hard. Now I got to drink some whiskey. Ready? <laughs> love is so hard to find. There you go. Trash hotel room. Much <laughs> think like Just Rod eat. Stewart. You know, that could be a, like a Rod, like tonight's the night, like Rod Stewart kind of thing. You know, it, it, I could see where that could have been a hit. Out, but I think in a way, like you'd mentioned earlier in the show, people l- looked at the four solo albums and thought, it was a gimmick to have the four, and I think a lot of the songs just absolutely got buried under the weight of all four of them coming out at once. So that's why you don't even know that song. Well, let's take it over to the hardest working man in podcasting, Mr. Chris Sinzik. Are you ready for your uh, list, album, album title, and your track listing, sir? Absolutely. Um, been excited to do this. So, um, okay, so what I've got... I don't have anything too out of left field. I've got a couple of strange left turns here, though. So what I've got, well, the out. Al- do you want me to do the album title first? Sure. Well, however you want to present it. Well, the album title and the concept is is going to be the album would be called Masquerade, and I kind of just cool. thinking of Unmasked the other day. Like, well, Masquerade is. I don't know if Kiss never used it because it was too on the nose for you know they wear a mask and all. It's but, too French sounding. Yeah, maybe, but. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking a mask, like a masquerade party. You don't know their identities, and they would really play up that whole thing. And I did a little concept cover thing, but um, I'm not much of an artist. So what I would do? It's cool. Oh, thanks. But I, you know, it would be more of it would be like drawn, like a masquerade mask with the makeup faces on it, and you know, and I used the same font as the unmasked, uh, the word unmasked on the unmasked cover. But that would be my concept for it. Um, side one. I would lead off the album with All American Man. I think it's a great opening track, and I could even hear it being a concert opener. I don't know why Paul doesn't like that song. I think it's great. Um, it's foolish that he doesn't. Yeah, I love uh, it. Song number two, this is a little strange. I have Move On, but it's going to be sung by Peter Chris. There you go. That works. I think the way the way Paul sings it, I could completely hear Peter Chris singing it in that Bob Seger-type style. And I think his voice would fit great on that song. So Peter would have the number two track on the album. Number three would be It's All Right. As Matt said before, it's a great, just, you know, hard rocker. And uh, I think it would be a great song. Number four is Snowblind with Ace singing. Um, that song just seems tailor-made for a Kiss album to me. Um, and then number track five to ending side A, um, I've got Gene doing Man of a Thousand Faces. So this is where they're do- they're kind of taking a risk doing the whole orchestration thing and everything. But they've done it with great expectations. So it's not too far out of left field. But I would, then this is me trying to, this is the guitar player in me coming out. I would have like heavy guitars mim- mimicking going along with the uh, string section. That's, I would add that to make the song a little bit hard, more hard rock. Um, side two opens with larger than life. So then Gene has a, you know, a big kickoff to the begin side two. That song is totally a great kiss song. Going into that, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me? 
because it's uh, an awesome power pop song. It's one of my. It might be my favorite Paul Stanley song ever. Um, I think that would be a, a great track there. And then after that would be "What's on Your Mind" by Ace. And so you have two kind of great power pop songs back to back. Then after that, I've got Peter doing "I Can't Stop the Rain" because it's it's a great ballad, and that would have to be their you know their big attempt to recreate Beth. And I think it would actually they could probably I think that song would have been may have been a hit if they had released it. Um, and then ending the album, I've got Ace doing "New York Groove" because I kiss with the New York roots and everything. I think it would kind of show unity since the solo albums are all about them not being unified. I think New York Groove would be a great way of saying, hey, this is our New York song and kind of let's go off to the next album with New York Groove. As far as singles go and how it would affect the band, I would release All American Man as the first single. Um, I would release Larger Than Life as the second single. And then I would release What's On Your Mind as the third single. And just in fantasy land, I would say what's on your mind would wind up being a huge hit. Ace's head would get swelled and he would leave the band. <laughs> and it would uh, also be also leading to Ace leaving the band. The album would also be produced by Bob Ezra. And the reason why is they did, had Bob Ezra for Destroyer. They immediately ditched him and went back to Eddie Kramer because they were scared because sales weren't good right off the bat. And they were like, this is too much of an experiment. Well, then by the end of Rock and Roll Over period, they'll realize, well, we were wrong because now look at what Destroyer did. We have to get Bob back and back to produce the next album. So Bob would come back in with his, you know, militaristic style of leadership and him and Ace would be at loggerheads. Ace would say, I have a hit. Bob's an asshole. I'm leaving the band. So that's that's the way my album would pan out. And then we wow. get we get no savior love, no talk to me, no. <laughs> I know it would History be a great is, is, is altered hugely. Okay. Then Ace becomes a huge solo act. <laughs> all right, all right. So we get save your love and talk to me just on his on an Ace Freely album. Yeah, with a new wave type sound too. So yeah, yeah. that's my album. Well, Mr. David Kaczynski, are so, you uh, hit us with yours? Yeah, I uh, I kind of took this as uh, I was kind of whoever the producer would be, and I, I I had trouble narrowing it down to to one person. Uh, I thought they'd kind of go in a different direction. Uh, initially, my first thought was Jack Douglas doing it, um, I because I had read somewhere that uh, Bill Coyne wanted to bring in him to remix Destroyer because he wasn't happy with it or something, and I'm like that kind of makes sense. Uh, for what's going on, uh, I think the cheap trick, re- uh, first cheap trick record, and then and the Aerosmith, and there's you know connections with Kiss there. Uh, the other thought was Mike Stone, since he had a lot going on with the Paul, and then with uh, Double Platinum in '78, so that would kind of make sense in the New England record, which him and Paul did. Right. And then I thought, kind of going with them looking in a a, a new direction as far as a, a new sound. Uh, and my thought was uh, Roy Thomas Baker, uh, because this was just around when the co- with car uh, with the cars and uh, and uh, well, Devo would be a few years later, but kind of it's a combination between a big, huge rock sound, but then also a bit of the Ezrin kind of dictatorial kind of um, making them do things a certain way. Um, in the end, I kind of settled on Jack Douglas because that would make sense. It would kind of keep uh, the Eddie Kramer kind of vibe, but give them a little more uh, 
you know, they always talk about how they don't feel that Eddie Kramer gave them something that was contemporary at that time, uh, up to par with other albums that were coming out. And I thought Jack Douglas would be uh, a good answer for that. So I kind of settled on that. Uh, I also kind of went at this keeping that Peter was having uh, the same issues that he was having in 78. So as far as like his accident and not being able to do anything. Uh, and I think this is where Anton Fig would, would put into the mix uh, and that he would play on some of this album. Yeah, that, uh, was, that was my same fantasy. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear Rip It Out without Anton Fig. <laughs> well, I will say just, you know, that's one of those things, once figuring that out, like wondering why, because Side 2 of Dynasty is just, I think, amazing and possibly possibly the best side of a kiss record for me ever and then once learning about anton fig playing on it and then i listened to it i'm like oh my god it's the drumming peter's horrible (laughs) he's not i mean being a musician and playing with people he's awful i mean he's just not very good and it's with the accident and all that and it's just kind of the Anton Fig, I think, put a, a, a big a life to some of those tracks that that Peter just never could do. And not that I don't like the old Kiss stuff; I like it, and you know, it is what it is. And putting someone else on that would probably change those. But uh, kind of going back and looking at it from a musician angle, kind of like, wow, that that is he's kind of a handicap. Hmm. Um, I also called the album "Larger Than Life" because I figured that at that time they were at their peak. Uh, my concept for the cover, similar to the Superman, Spider-Man thing was kind of them, uh, but more is like their characters, kind of like Ace is a giant robot kind of thing landing in the city. Peter Chris is a giant cat monster. Uh, Gene is a giant demon. I never know what the, this is one of those things you've done, we've done as kids, I guess, and kind of come up with these concepts. I have never known what to do with Paul. Because like Star Child on one end of it, it's like, oh, is he kind of a space guy like Ace? Or then you get the lover kind of thing. And I'm like, what do you do with that? So what do you make him? So I'm kind of still, I have some sketches. I'll have something soon. I just was a little insane <laughs> at work. But I have a good, you know, a good idea of what the heck it would look like. So they'd be in a big city thing. Ace, robot guy would be landing. Gene would be blowing fire. Peter would be looking like a cat monster guy ready to pounce. And- so it's. Almost like uh, when Mothra and Godzilla and all those <laughs> yes. creatures are attacking Tokyo, except yeah, that, yeah, destroy all monsters is yeah, yeah, kind of like they're all come together, kind of in this big city, then larger in life with the whole idea. That'd be cool. Um, so remember going- the magazine cover where they show like all their faces, uh, like over Tokyo? No, Creed yeah, magazine? yeah. Oh, I've seen that. That's cool. Yeah. That would kind of work for that in a way. I mean, in a strange way. I always thought the problem, because I remember drawing Kiss uh, King Kong style back in the day. Yeah. But if you look at it now, you'd like, well, how come Gene's on top of the Empire State Building? (laughs) How come I'm not on the top of the Empire State Building? (laughs) You know, it'd be this big fight within the band and, right. and then eventually it would get scrapped because the empire state building looks like a huge penis and <laughs> you know <laughs> larger than life <laughs> right right See? that's what the song's about yes yeah. it could Holt. be gene laying down with the empire state building behind him looking like his <laughs> did you guys see the photo i posted of gene on with the tank turret behind him the other day oh yeah yeah looks like the yeah. turret going <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, I just pulled up that cream, the cream cover, and it's got jeans like blowing fire on the city. Yeah, and yeah. they're like a four-headed monster. 
Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be very cool. That kind of goes along with what you're saying, though. Yeah. You know. um, what, what singles were released from the album? Oh, you uh, did you even do your songs yet? Yeah, let's go to the sides. I got uh, side one, All American Man, just because I think that's a great opener. And I didn't know Paul Stanley didn't like that song, but I'd like to ask him what was wrong with him. But uh, Paul, Paul seems to be really... I, actually, I'd love to have a conversation with Paul Stanley for what he says about certain things is very uh, strange. Um, kind of like especially where, where he... I, I don't know if he's just toying the line with Gene where he kind of... You know, he kind of denigrates Ace's record, and they like they don't want to give him credit for doing it. But Paul always seemed to be the guy who was keeping Ace in the band. Um, and then you kind of saw that with um, what's the last song on the side on Dynasty, uh, Save Your Love, that he helped him finish it. So I, I just thought that was kind of weird. So there seems to be a weird di- dichotomy with with Paul on what he says, and kind of doesn't make sense with things. Um, second, I have Larger Than Life, uh, title track. Uh, kind of just going in with I, I, I just really liked side four of Alive 2 and kind of how it uh, went except for the Dave Clark 5 song I guess <laughs> uh, third Tonight You Belong to Me to kind of you know take it down a little more pop direction uh, then it starts off fairly heavy uh, third Rocket or fourth Rocket Ride uh, I think this amazing song and reading the stories of how it got rejected I believe for Love Gun is kind of like wow that's a great song how do you how does that one get rejected uh, and then the last song, five on side A, is uh, "It's All Right," and I have Peter Peter singing that one, uh, and that's getting my Peter requirement out of the way because I went back and listened to the Peter. I don't think until re- until recently I had actually gotten through the Peter Chris album, listening to it in one listen, uh, and went right. back and just I don't know if there's anything salvageable. And then reading on the Kiss FAQ about that whole record, and he's. You know, getting Chandelier, the whole songwriting, and he really didn't write anything on it, and the songwriting credits were split up just because he couldn't do anything and and whatnot with that. So, uh, side two, I have kicking off with "Rip It Out," which I think is a. I was having trying to figure out what to start the album with, and uh, having a Paul Stanley song start off is is fairly common for this period, I guess. So. Uh, uh, I put "Rip It Out" as the start of side two, which would be, uh, I think, a great way to start that off. Uh, then it goes into uh, Radioactive, uh, I think, which would be great if done as Kiss the Band. And I think it's a lot of the problem with the with the Gene record. Probably would have been uh, a lot better as Kiss songs and to strip away a lot of the fluffy arrangement. You know, uh, I want to have Donna Summer and whoever on the record. <laughs> um, three, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me? Uh, for New York Groove, uh, and New York Groove, I felt had to be on here. I really wanted to pick a different song, but I, I kind of felt is going in, you know, being the producer guy, that you know that would be looked at as, as a hit, um, and kind of uh, uh, give them something. Okay, we need a single, and that would have been a, I think, a good place for that. And then the album ends with uh, Love and Chains, kind of when it ended on a, on a, on a heavy, heavier kind of song. Uh, as for the singles, I was looking at. Um, uh, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me would have been the first single. I thought it was a good, catchy song to put out there. And then uh, New York Groove is the second single, and that would have been the one that uh, I think took off and, and did uh, probably better than it did as just an Ace song, just because it was a Kiss song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so overall, just kind of a big, hard rock record. Uh, uh, going into the thing, you know, Kiss always seemed to be like uh, one step behind 
popular culture kind of a thing. Like the disco thing in 79 was like two years too late of doing, you know, to actually really capitalize, I think, on it. And I think if they actually would have done a hard record, hard rock record, 78, new wave of British heavy metal, all that stuff started going and uh, maybe find a new life with uh, the fans that are losing because of the merchandising. All right. Well, um, I guess, BJ, you want to go or do you want yeah, me to go? Yeah, sure, I'll go. Okay. All right. So mine is just sort of my fantasy album. Um, I didn't really think much about what they actually would have done or what would have made sense. I just picked my fantasy, what I would want to hear. And I imagined Eddie Kramer producing it just because I, that's what I would like to hear, I guess. And, you know, and he produced Ace's album. And that, I guess, but I love Dave's ideas like Jack Douglas and Roy Thomas Baker. You know, it would have been great to hear what they could have done with Kiss, too. So, my, yeah, my first song is All American Man, which I love. And, yeah, well, I can understand why Paul wouldn't want to sing Six Foot Hot Look. <laughs> maybe, maybe he doesn't like the lyrics. I don't know. But that's an amazing, that's, that's an amazing song. I love it. And I was like, put your hand in my pocket, grab one of my rocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's got plenty of other lyrics he has to sing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What were you going to well, say, Dave? His dick, obviously. There, is there possibly, I've read there's a, there was like a, apparently there's a third songwriter for All American Man that is not credited. Okay. Uh, and I was wondering if that maybe has something to do with him not, you know. Hmm. Uh, I, I never heard that before. Do you know who the third songwriter is? Yeah, I'm going to look it up real quick here. Let me just take a quick look on, because he had worked with Kiss on something else after that. He went under kind of an alias name. Uh, let's come back to it. I'm going to look it up real quick. And all right. Keep going. Well, so I was I I like imagining all American Man with Ace playing on it. Um, all these quotes I've read from Bob Kulik, where he's really critical of Ace's playing and sort of. Have you read this stuff that Bob Kulik says, where he's basically saying he's better than Ace and yeah, and yeah. now he doesn't like Ace's guitar playing and blah blah blah. Well, I mean, if I hear. A song Ace Freely is playing on, I immediately can tell that's Ace Freely. If I hear Bob Kulik playing, it could be anybody. <laughs> that's the way I, I mean, you know, Bob Kulik doesn't stand out to me as any big... But I like I, Bob Kulik better than Bruce, so... Well, I don't... <laughs> really? Wow. Well, that's just because Dave doesn't like that era, I guess, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, you know, Bob, Bob Kulik pisses me off with the stuff he says about Ace, and uh, I would love to hear Ace playing on All-American Man. And then... I don't... What's that? I don't like what Bob says about Ace, but I have to admit, I like. I think his solos are perfect for those Alive Two songs. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't. Ha I love those songs, but it would be cool to hear All American Man with Ace playing on it. And so that's my opening track. Then uh, song two, side one is "Rip It Out." Uh, song three on side one, "It's All Right," and then the fourth song on side one, I have "Speeding Back to My Baby," sung by Peter Chris. And then I end side one with Larger Than Life. No tears, I need to make your fears. Where you 
And then side two opens with Wouldn't You Like to Know Me. Second song is Radioactive, which I love that song. And I would love to imagine that song produced by Eddie Kramer and, you know, recorded by the whole band. Third song on side two is Rocket Ride. And then the fourth song on side two, I originally had Living in Sin, but then I was thinking about it and I like See You Tonight a lot more, but I hadn't put it on the album because it, it didn't seem like that song would be on a Kiss album. But then I thought, well... There was a precedent set for Gene recycling a ballad on a Kiss album before when he put Going Blind, Little Lady, you know, on Hotter Than Hell. So I thought, well, he did it before because See You Tonight was an older song, too, I believe. So I thought, hey, it would work. So I put See You Tonight, fourth song inside, too. And then I end the album with Tonight You Belong to Me, which to me is kind of an epic. I think it would be a good album closer, even though it opens Paul's album. I thought that song would be a good way to close the album. And yeah, the, I thought of Larger Than Life seems like the obvious album title for this record, but, but then I was thinking about it, and there are, ki- there are six Kiss albums that are named after song titles, and those songs all have one thing in common. What is it? Paul Stanley wrote They're Paul Stanley songs, yeah. So <laughs> there's never a Kiss album named after a Gene Simmons song, but the previous Kiss album was named after a song about Paul's genitalia so now Gene gets his turn to name an album after a song about his <laughs> so there's a little quid pro quo there but I had also come up with another album title which was just a big word like gymnasium well I came up with one joke where I thought they could have just come clean and named the album Nights in Satan's Service and then you know that would be a weight off their shoulders they could just be honest about it <laughs> I don't know what these I don't know what the album cover would have been for that one, but and then I was gonna say they could have named it Condemnation. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember that was like a working title for Hot in the Shade or something at one point. <laughs> Condemnation. I remember reading that in like Metal Edge or something back then. Yep, that was that. Crazy cool. Nights, wasn't it? What was it? Crazy Nights. I think it was. I remember the working oh, title. Who dares wins was yeah, one. But I know Condemnation was one that I read in a magazine for. Yeah, either Crazy Nights or Hot in the Shade or something. Yep. <laughs> and I came up with the album title with a cover concept of Do Not Disturb. And it would be a picture of like four hotel room doors and the platform boots are all sitting outside the door like people put their shoes outside their hotel room door. <laughs> and then they all have the Do Not Disturb sign hanging on the <laughs> doorknob. And, and like panties and... Yeah, right. Yeah, panties hanging on the doorknob with the... Yeah. <laughs> Axe base impaling the door. <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty cool. And I, I guess, like- uh, you know, I, c- I could feel the air go out of the room when Dave said that Peter Chris was a horrible drummer. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. But I like <laughs> Which I don't necessarily agree with. David Kaczynski, care of... <laughs> Fistful of Dave. You know, I mean, I, I, I guess I don't pay a whole lot of attention to drums. or I mean, I've been listening to those Kiss songs for so long that I never really had a problem with, the, with Peter's drumming. But I also 
realized that Anton Figg's work, like on Kiss on Ace's solo album, is amazing. And um, yeah. I would hate to hear Rip It Out without those drum fills and everything. So I guess in my fantasy world, Peter is kind of disgruntled. He didn't get a song he wrote on this album in, in my world. So he's kind of pissed off and maybe he doesn't play on some of the songs <laughs> and Anton Fig plays on them. <laughs> but, you know, Bob Kula can piss off. He's not, <laughs> he's not playing on this album. And okay. yeah, it's like, yeah. So, uh, and singles, I guess, I think Wouldn't You Like to Know Me would have been a great single for 1978. And that's oh. probably one of my favorite Kiss songs, too. I love that song. And uh, yeah. I think. See It Tonight could have been a great single for them to put out. And I, I love that song. And if they were going to put out a ballad in 1978, I think that might have been a, a contender for a, a hit song in 78, maybe. So, yeah, I think the interesting, like, wouldn't you like to know me is kind of like pretty power pop as far as I'm concerned. And what, you know, what, what they were trying to attempt far later on Unmasked, again, being two steps behind the whole thing is is far more realized, I think, with with wouldn't you like to know me is is that kind of a song. Yeah, well, Paul says he was trying to write a Raspberry song when he wrote that. Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds just like the Raspberry. I love the idea of Paul Stanley sitting down and saying, I'm going to write a Raspberry song. And then <laughs> Wouldn't You Like to Know Me comes from that. I love that. That's, you know, that's just great. So then he said, I'm going to write a Gloria Gaynor song for Dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. So I found the, uh, the, the third writer for uh, the supposed third writer for All-American Man. Uh, Sean Delaney said uh, there's a guy named Richard uh, Gersten. Uh, also known as Richard T. Bear, he was apparently an artist on RCA. Right, he, uh, he's on, on Gene's solo oh. album, man. Yeah. Piano player. You know, I I remember I didn't remember it was about that song, but I do remember now reading about him being a co-writer on something that rings a bell. Yeah, yeah, All American Man's an awesome song. I love that song. So I don't know Great. what Great. I don't know what Paul's thinking, but well, you guys saw the clip when they actually played it live in Wisconsin, and he's. <laughs> He says, here's a song we've never played before, and after tonight, we'll probably never play it again. And it was like, you could hear he just hated the song. Yeah. I think it's a great Kiss song. I don't know why he doesn't like it. Yeah, it's that's really weird, because it's just, it's that's like if somebody said, hey, what give a song that, that represented Kiss, I think that would like be a perfect song. Like, yeah. This is a Kiss, like the whole American thing, and Gene Simmons with his American stuff, and I mean, it just seems like a perfect song for kiss but i wonder do you guys know how those songs on alive 2 were written like were those written in the studio or did were they just songs they were working on for what would have been their next album or that's what i think because yes. they're, they're great songs it i mean they're great if that's if that would have been if that's indicative of what their next album would have been if the solo albums and stuff hadn't happened they were on the right track that's for sure but uh yeah. oh yeah and i had read that rocket ride was cut from love gun which is insane since they put then he then she kissed me on there right. it's like right. <laughs> what are they thinking but <laughs> who does anyone know who produced the alive 2 studio tracks it must have been eddie kramer i was looking yeah, at yeah. that last night and he's the only producer credited yeah i was wondering the it's same eddie thing eddie kramer yeah oh. i think they they rented out some 
theater or something to do it. Uh, right. And then just you, but the, I think it was the same time when they, because from what I understand, they redid. I don't remember exactly what songs, but there was a few songs that just weren't usable apparently, and they redid like two songs, hard and then luck. just added the, yeah, "Hard Luck Woman" was one of them. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Cool. So <laughs> you know how I said that. Uh, if you think about it, there's six Kiss albums named after songs, and they're all Paul songs. Well, also, I was thinking about it, and I, and I you know, worked it out in my head at work the other night. Uh, every Kiss album up through Revenge opens with a Paul Stanley vocal, too, right. which I had never really thought about. No, there's a reason for that. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, it used to drive me nuts, like, in the 80s when people would refer to Paul Stanley as the lead singer of Kiss. I used to get so mad. <laughs> but, you know... I mean, he's the front man, at least. And, you know, if you think about it, I guess it wasn't that much of a stretch to call him the lead singer. I mean, it doesn't well, make sense because he's not the only singer, but. Well, he's the front man. So. Yeah, the front man. They, but I, I guess I, they were just people just use lead singer and front man interchangeably, I guess. Yeah, I think it's what you, you look at it. And it always seemed like Gene was was the leader of the band. And, you know, I think on a on a marketing level, he was. But uh, Paul is definitely, I think, the creative driving force. I mean, reading everything since then on, you know, him wanting to produce the new albums and all that, but that uh, has obviously probably been the case the whole time. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of um, if you don't play my way, I'm taking my ball and leaving. Yeah. Seriously. Okay, so Ken, you haven't done yours yet, right? That's that's correct. All right, and go he, for they, it. The year, 1978. Uh, Alive 2 does come out, but instead of Side 4 being a Frankenstein of studio tracks, it is a Frankenstein of... Uh, studio tracks with audience <laughs> dubbed in. <laughs> yes, but it's things that were on the other three albums. Right. So uh, so Alive 2 does happen. Peter Chris also gets involved in his car accident during the making of this album. Okay which is why Anton does come in and play on the tracks that we love Anton on. So, <laughs> All right. The name of the album is Larger Than Life. Side one begins with Tonight You Belong to Me. And that's kind of like how Paul did um, I Want You. It's kind of similar to that thematically. Yeah, as far as like how the song starts, yep. the drama of it all. Then we have track two with Rip It Out. Kind of like how on Dynasty we have I Was Made for Loving You and then 2000 Man. So there we are. Now, track three on side one. This is the Peter Chris song. And I was going to do Speeding Back to My Baby, but it would invalidate the only three A songs on the album. So I went with Peter Chris singing Rocket in the USA. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah that, that works. Because, because to me, that sounds like Either one of those two songs, Speed Back to My Baby or Rockin' in the USA, sung by Pete, makes sense to me. And I could hear, like, the press, like, you know, you'd, you'd hear Peter, like, yeah, um, Ace and his wife wrote this song for me, or um, Gene wrote this song for me, or, or had me in mind when he wrote this song. And, you know, it kind of chronicles our adventures around the world as a rock band. And, you know, and he's not too upset about only having the one song in the album because he's, uh, you know, because of the car crash, he kind of only could do so much. So pretty much after doing Rock in the USA, he gets sidelined, and then it leaves uh, um, Anton Fig to help fill out the rest of the album. 
So track four on side one is Radioactive. Track five, New York Groove. We flip the album over. Side two begins with All-American Man. Track two on side two is Larger Than Life. Track three is Rocket Ride. Track four is See You Tonight. And the album closes with a Paul Stanley song called Goodbye. So that track five on side two is Goodbye. And uh, there are two singles released from this album at the same time. The first single has All American Man on side A. On side B is See You Tonight. On the second single is New York Groove and on, backed with Rockin' in USA with Pete on lead vocals. So All American Man and See You Tonight is an A and B single and they both do pretty good, you know, about like how Dr. Love and stuff like that did, but nothing really dominates. But Aza's track, New York Groove, takes off big time. So what happens as a result after that? Well, Paul says, you know, Ace did pretty good with like a dance track. I think I'm going to write I Was Made for Loving You. <laughs> Perfect. Goes <laughs> right back on track. Ace has strong songs on it. Gene, he's lost again. <laughs> Pete's pretty <laughs> living. And Kistry is right it again. What do you think? I like it. Awesome. Now, here's my concept for the album cover. Um, larger than life, and you have like the planet Earth. This is a painted album cover, all of um, Ken Callie. And since I didn't want to like actually paint Kiss last night, I took the inside um, poster from the Marvel Super Special Kiss uh, comic book. That really cool thing where Gene's on top of everybody and they're surrounded by Kiss. Well, I basically had that. Um, taking over the world and it's kind of I was thinking something like uh, Queen's News to the World album you know has the band painted and like that robot but instead it's basically them being bigger than the planet earth so that's larger than life and uh, on the back cover you guys have seen that picture where Kiss is leaning over the camera in their love gun outfits and there's a black, black background mm -hmm. they're kind of looking down at us. Uh, right, right, right. So that's back cover. On the inside sleeve, you have the Kiss Army logo, uh, like embossed on the planet Earth, like a painting of it. You flip it over, and you've got the Kiss catalog so far <laughs> <laughs> laid out, yeah. you know, from Kiss to Alive 2. And another thing that nobody's mentioned, but in October, Kiss Meets the Phantom does come out, and all, the soundtrack is from this album. So you still have them, like, those songs in the Kiss Meets the Phantom movie. And, of course, there's the merchandise sleeve with Larger Than Life. You can get the poster. You can get the uh, bumper sticker, the keychain, the dog collar, the socks, the, you know, anyway. Well, so since my, we're... Sorry, since we're rewriting history, can we just have Phantom of the Park never come out? <laughs> that, that was or maybe thought. they make a different movie, a better movie. <laughs> so in this version of history, maybe somebody actually writes an ending to the movie that makes sense. And it really could be, you know, Star Wars meets A Hard Day's Night. Very good. Would anything make that movie make sense, though? <laughs> <laughs> 
I remember, though, they were initially offered the part of being like the evil band in the Sgt. Pepper movie. Right. <laughs> that could but that's happen. fairly unwatchable also, so I don't know. Yeah. Since, I rewrote, since I rewrote history with Ace leaving the band after this album, um, that means that Vinny came in and played on Dynasty. Oh, <laughs> wow. You well, I, I, you know, if there's no Peter Solo album, then in my reality, Vinny Poncha never enters the picture. And, you know, let's have right. Eddie Kramer or Roy Thomas Baker produce Dynasty. And Yeah, that know. was my thought with, with, with Roy Thomas Baker, was that's who would replace Vinny. Hmm. Yeah. Although I'd love to hear the idea of Jack Douglas producing them, because that would be cool to hear his production on a Kiss album. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it's funny, because that's one of the things when we were talking about this was how would it change the band? And, I mean, obviously all these ideas. I like the idea, I mean, the fantasy idea anyway, that it because everybody gets a little more input and everybody's getting some different songs, that maybe it actually strengthens it, that the band doesn't kind of collapse you know, the way that, that they were falling apart already in reality. I mean, obviously, Alive 2, depending on who you ask, they're not even playing on half those those songs on side four. And it's like maybe maybe uh, they bring in, like you said, Bob Ezrin comes in. Maybe they all make them go to the gym and everybody cleans up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Phantom of the Park, like maybe Peter shows up to do his lines. You know, maybe they write some better stuff. I don't know. I mean, it's funny because it's one of the, the fun thing about really this whole concept, which I love the way you came up with the idea for this show, was that changing one or two things could change everything and even just maybe somebody gets a song on the album that maybe they felt they weren't getting represented before now all of a sudden they go, well maybe i still want to be in here you know and that's even like peter always talks oh well we were partying so much in 78 because we were so unhappy but if by making these little changes maybe somebody maybe they stay happier maybe he doesn't crash his car but he goes to drum lessons instead and you know uh plays some of that stuff the way Anton was playing it. In my mind, when I was coming up with my list anyway, I'm picturing that we're hearing a lot of the songs kind of similar to the way that we know and love them. Um, that there's not, you know, a whole lot of changes. But, you know, maybe it keeps everybody happier. I don't know. Yeah, I was well, thinking a lot about the butterfly effect. The butterfly right. effect that all these changes would have. And then I was thinking of you know, they could have named the album Appetite for Destruction. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, well, in another world, there is a podcast going on right now where someone's saying, wouldn't it have been cool if Kiss, instead of doing that album, Larger in Life, in 1978, would have done four solo albums? <laughs> yeah. Got that out of their system and stayed together. Somewhere there's an alternate reality that's wondering why the Bay City Rollers each put out a single album themselves and, <laughs> and the whole other podcast. Well, yeah, what I was saying is uh, one thing this reality would take from us is the solo album covers, which um, one, one time I was coming up with my favorite album covers ever, and my top four are the Kiss solo album covers. I love those uh, paintings, and I would hate to lose... <laughs> Those well, album covers in right, this reality. This, album, but, yep, this album has a double fold out kind of a thing, and they're inside, kind of like <laughs> yeah, the gatefold, the gatefold, right, right, right. Actually, I did think about that. They they're on the Dynasty album cover on in my reality. Yeah, that's that's good too. <laughs> yeah, I had thought of an idea for the gatefold would be just replace the Hollywood sign with the Kiss sign. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, you know, right. it opens up and it's that hill with with Kiss instead of Hollywood. That's but, a great idea. Well, so I was tallying up the songs as we did this, 
and we've mm-hmm. got we've got nine songs that have were three or more on three or more of our albums. So we have okay. a consensus on nine of the ten songs, which is they are All American Man, Larger Than Life, Rocket Ride, Rip It Out, New York Groove, Radioactive, Tonight You Belong to Me, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me, and It's All Right. And then so then the tenth song. I Can't Stop the Rain has two votes. Love and Chains has two votes. Living in Sin has two. It would be one of those three for the 10th song. So we were pretty, you know, we were pretty close together in this. I guess there's that whole group of songs that really stand out from these albums. Right. But Well, I, I, I would like to commend you all on your fine jobs, but mine is right. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> Every man is a king in his own mind. <laughs> But it was a lot of fun doing this. I like the I like the concept behind it. BJ, you did a great job coming up with like the ground rules and everything. Because it's this is something that gets posted on message board. But I haven't heard a, a podcast actually knock this topic out yet. <laughs> yeah, let's let's now kiss each uh, other's butts and uh, <laughs> we know it, it was it. funny. It was funny to think about if other like like for instance, you had Peter singing "Speeding Back to My Baby." I didn't even really think about that, but it's it's kind of amazing to go back and think. About what would certain songs be like if one of the other members was singing it, things like that. I think that's really kind of fascinating, and, and really kind of trying to figure out maybe what song would have fit with somebody else, and maybe if they had been getting along more, it would have gone that way. And it just, uh, you know, I thought that was really one. That's something I didn't really cover, but I like the way you guys did that. Well, yeah, you, when you, I, just think about him doing. I'm driving down the road to a 95. Miles. Right, Matt had you idea. had you had Peter singing. It's all right, didn't you? That was me. Oh yeah, okay. that works. That works. You know, that works too. And I, I think that had move on. So I, had someone Peter, had, I had Peter doing move on. Yeah, that yeah. Works. I, didn't, I didn't switch any of the vocals. I kind of, I kind of, in my mind, was thinking of the songs in the way that they were really that we know them. And then I even made a list, like a playlist on my on my uh, computer of the songs that I picked, but they were all the ones that we, as we knew them. Right. Well, you know, two two of my favorite Kiss songs are Mainline and Getaway, so I don't have a problem with Peter <laughs> singing, you know, one of the other guys' songs. It works. Right. Or Black Absolutely. Diamond too is amazing. So sure, yeah. yeah. So you but, know, it works for me. Seriously, Pete singing either "Rockin' in the USA" or "Speeding Back to My Baby" to me just makes perfect sense. I'd like to hear that too. I yeah. would too. I, I, hey Pete, if you're listening, <laughs> your rock out. next album instead of doing. Chris sings Kiss. <laughs> Chris sings go. Kiss. Be That's killer. perfect. <laughs> My God, what a great idea. Chris sings Kiss. And he could say, these are, these are the songs I always wanted to sing, but those bastards wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I rewrote them. So I get like uh, songwriting credits and whatnot. Yeah, Matt was talking about Jeanette Freely having a credit on um, "Speeding Back to My Baby," and I read something that said Ace let her write one line just so she, he could put her name on it or something. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I love all. Those I wonder guys. what that line was. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's ever found out what line Jeanette wrote in that song. <laughs> Speed <laughs> back to my baby. The repeated oh, line of maybe I should remember. <laughs> For some reason, Ace gets like a pass on his songwriting, but he has like the worst rhyming dictionary. Oh, so bad. Yeah, it's like, Ace, there are other words you could use. Just venture out a tiny bit. 
I don't think <laughs> I don't think he spent a whole lot of time on the lyrics. Did <laughs> that write any of that? It, I don't think it. I think he had to lay down on his back to write lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, um, we'd like to thank everybody for being part of this rock and or roll podcast event, and uh, we might as well uh, thank our combatants, our participants, discussionaires, uh, whatever you want to call them. I call them friends. Mr. Chris Zenzak, thank you for being part of our show, and you are fantastic, and we love everything you do. Mr. David Kaczynski, nice to finally talk to you. Uh, thank you for being on the show, and everybody check out Fistful of Dave. What do you want to promote? Anything? No, that would be it now. If looking for anything for me would be fistfulofdave.com. Okay, very cool. And the ever hairy Matt Porter with the Kiss Room and the podcast, thank you for all you do. And BJ, I just want to tell all the podcast fans out there and anybody listening, they need to check out a show called Rock and or Roll. And of course, they're doing that now, but they need to check out the other shows because every episode is like uh, history of rock and roll. Yeah. And you break it down, and I can't say enough good about it. There's, I always learn something every episode, and I feel that I'm fairly knowledgeable on my love of music and things like that but you always bring something to the table thanks yeah i just posted sunset strip part one yesterday so that's a good one very cool so yeah and pretty much you break down every episode like for example your first episode was kind of break it down to to people that are listening to the first time like what you've done past episodes yeah the first two were power pop and i there's glam rock and um I've got I've done a few interviews so far, and I've got more coming up hopefully. Uh, Marty Friedman, if you guys know who he is, um, he's agreed to be on in January, so I'm pretty excited about that. Very so good. yeah, I'm gonna try to get more, do more interviews, and um, yeah, there's gonna be lots of stuff coming up. Um, Dave's gonna Fistful of Dave's gonna be on uh, a co-host on some about heavy metal. Hopefully, right. we're, hopefully we'll put that together soon, and um, you know I've got, I got to get into punk rock and all kinds of stuff, so. Very cool. When's the uh, Bob Kulik interview? <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, I want to talk to him about the Balance album. That was good. <laughs> or, or Skull. Skull. <laughs> well, we'd like to thank everybody for being here, and we'd like to thank you for listening. So anything you want to promote, uh, Facebook page, BJ, or anything? Uh, the blog is probably the best place to go, rockandorrollpodcast.blogspot.com, and there's a link for the Facebook page there. So, All right. Well, everybody, make up your own playlist. Let us know either on the Rock and or Roll blog or on Digital Geek site or the Kiss Room or the Podkiss Facebook page. Let us know what your 1978 albums are made up of and go listen to them. Keep rocking. That for everybody. <laughs> That's awesome. Anticlimactic. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at KissFAQ.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. 
And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podcast crew, thank you for listening to Podcast, the KISS fanzine for your ears. Now, you recorded this, right, BJ? Yes, I Good recorded job. it. I did this time. <laughs> just now ask that. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, shit.